career sucks. Sex just isn't the same. What's my purpose? Where did this fat come from? Divorce is killing me. I'll never be happy. My debt is piling up. Kids are gone. Now what? I'll never find love. Why can't I be like the other guys? Hey guys, gay, straight, and everything in between. It's time to get a grip. Stop whining, make a bold move, and do something amazing with your 40 plus life. Let's get to the show with your Tell It Like It Is host, Rick Clemens, who does his best to never act like a dick, unless you act like one first. Hello, gentlemen. It is time for another episode of 40 Plus Real Men Real Talk. I'm your host, Rick Clemens, and I just want to remind you guys one thing, that we've got a way to really gather together and connect with other men, especially in these crazy times that are going on. I think we all need a lot of connection. And the way we do this is you go to 40 Plus Men's chats 40 plus men's chats and it is four zero not spelling the word 40 plus out and you can join us uh the next one is april the 7th from 6 to 7 p.m and we just chat about anything that's going on with you guys anything you need to talk about relationships sex frustrations raising kids dealing with COVID 19 whatever it is you need to talk about and it's free we have had some great conversations lately so i want to invite you to that but Today, we're going to dive into something that's near and dear to my heart, and that is getting divorced. No, it's not really near and dear to my heart, but it is a piece of my history. It's a part of my life, and with some of the stuff that I've had to learn to deal with is getting along with being in a blended family, and mine is a uniquely blended family because, as many of you know, I'm a gay guy, and so I have an ex-wife. I have my lovely children that are grown ladies at this point, but then I have my husband, and so we are really uniquely a blended family, but the guy that I'm bringing on, he's a friend of mine that I met through another program that I do, and um, his name is Joel Hawbarker, and I just love what he does. He works with blended families, really help them get along, find those ways to cooperate, and he's also a school teacher, so he's actually the master at like, really helping people get stuff under control. Anybody who can teach kids, I bow down to them and worship them just about. <laughs> so, um, But I thought Joel would be a great guy to have on as we talk about what do you do when you're in that blended family situation? How do you get along, and how do you do these things? So, Joel, I just want to welcome you to the conversation, man. Yeah, Rick, thank you for having me on. It is, uh, it's a privilege to be here, and I look forward to hopefully sharing some helpful tips with your audience and, uh, and certainly having a good time chatting with you this afternoon. Well, the show's yours now. I just sit here. You, you take over and go, man. So <laughs> Excellent. Hey, it looks yeah. like being in a classroom, man. You yeah, ask exactly. a question and the kids like don't a, raise their hands. Uh -huh, and uh -huh. You so just start asking and answering your own questions. Exactly. But um, So one of the things that really <laughs> attracted me to you when we first started working together over in Booked and Paid to Speak, as then I, I was your coach in that uh, realm, still am uh, your coach, but um, was that you had this, this really interesting outlook on how do you go through this? How do you like step through that world of divorce without going, I hate you, I can't stand you, don't want to see you, <laughs> da, 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 da. And um, it, it seems like that you have found a way through this. So what was some of the stuff you did slightly differently or what was even that moment you realized, okay, I'm going to have to do something differently if I'm going to really make this work? <laughs> yeah, it was actually, it was more of a moment. Um, so let me answer that in a couple ways. First, I was very blessed, and this sounds a weird way to say it, but I was blessed when I went through my divorce in that I had seen my parents go through it. Now, my parents mm -hmm. split up when I was in middle school, 
and they got along better after they were divorced than they ever had when they were married. We, we lived with my mom, but my dad came and picked us up for school every day. We stayed with him every other weekend, and we still celebrated Thanksgivings together. Even after my mom started dating the man that would become my stepdad, we still had Thanksgivings together. So at Thanksgiving, it was you know mom and dad and mom's boyfriend. And then all the kids together and sometimes mom's boyfriend's dad would join us and my mom's mom. And it was just, and I didn't realize that was weird until I got to college. And you know, you're sitting around as a college freshman, you get to know people and you talk about, oh, we're going over Thanksgiving. Who's going to be there? And, and I would share who was going to be there and people would just look at me funny. Like you're, I'm sorry, your mom and your dad have been divorced for four years. They're still going to have Thanksgiving together and your mom's boyfriend is going to come over and there's not going to be any blood drawn or punches right. thrown. Or I said, no, that's just. That's what we do, you know, because, mm -hmm. and so I have this beautiful example. My, my dad was retired military. My mom was retired army reserves. My stepdad was retired military. And so they had this mutual respect for each other to where even if they disagreed, they were able to do so amicably and they were able to do so not in front of the kids. I have no doubts that my parents had some really heavy disagreements after their divorce, sure. but they never, they never showed us those. And they certainly never tried to use us as mm -hmm. any kind of bargaining chip or pawn. And so when I went through my divorce, I would ask myself the question constantly, what would my dad have done? Because my, my dad passed away from cancer about a year and a half or two years before my divorce. And that was just the most awful thing that I'd ever been through. And then, you know, going through divorce and then went through bankruptcy and foreclosure as a result of the divorce and, um, you know, losing uh, the ability to see my kids whenever I wanted to because they lived with their mom most of the time. Uh, those were those were really hard times and yep. anyone who's listening who's thinking yes I know and it makes me hate my ex I can understand where you're coming from because I remember feeling that way I remember being really angry and embittered and um, it was so there were a couple of moments that really helped me move beyond that uh, one of them was when I realized that as long as I remained embittered toward my ex all that did was give her the power to keep making me angry which was going to stop me from being able to move forward in my life because yep. as, as long as I am playing the victim, then I don't have power to actually change my circumstances. When I take responsibility, now I also have the power to move forward, right? So by taking responsibility, I'm also empowering myself to make changes that yep. can have a huge impact on my life. Well, that, was, that was a realization I wish I had come to much sooner. What The moment that helped me realize that was actually a really amusing conversation I had with my former father-in-law, my ex-wife's dad. Mm -hmm. So- He's a really great man. He's a pastor. He um, you know, accepted me into the family despite the fact that I was kind of an idiot when his daughter and I got married. We're, we're only 19. I was 19 when we got married. Mm. I was halfway through college. And he's always been really, really kind to me. But he also held me accountable, which I appreciated. Um, and so after his daughter and I divorced, I was angry one day and I drove to his house. And I'm just sitting in his living room griping to him about his daughter who is now divorced from me. And that just that alone ought to let you know how dumb I am, right? Because I'm, I'm going to her dad to gripe about something as if he uh, agree with me. And about halfway through my rant, he stops me and says, Joel, just listen to me. If you couldn't get her to do what you wanted her to when you were married, what on earth makes you think she's going to do what you want her to now that you're divorced? Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, that's a really good question, Rick. I don't, I don't actually have a good answer for that. And mm -hmm. it was from that moment forward when I realized, one – my job isn't to get her to do what I want. And, it, and as long as I think that it is, boy, am I going to be a frustrated human being. Yep. But two, if that's not my job, what is my job? Well, the answer to that was my job is to take care of my children. And 
as sucky as it might seem in that moment, the best way to take care of my children was to make sure that their mother was taken care of because she is the one who had them 12 days out of 14. You know what I mean? She had them everything but every other weekend uh, at that time. Now, it's changed since then, but what that, what that helped me realize is if taking care of my kids is my primary goal, and that's what it mm-hmm. should be as a father, um, taking care, especially a divorced father, like my job is to take care of my kids. Well, that means that, you know what? Their mom may benefit from that. Well, is that fair? Doesn't matter if it's fair. Life's not fair. We, we tell our children, I mean, how many times do you tell your daughters when they were young, sorry, kids, life's not fair. You know, one of them gets a bigger piece of cake, one of them eats extra, whatever it is. Like, sorry, kids, life's not fair. But we become adults and it's like we forget that. And so anytime we experience injustice, we feel like we have to right the scales. And and I I get that. Uh, Trust me, as you guys can't tell because I'm seated uh, and we're talking on a podcast here, but I'm only five foot three. I get that life is not fair. Okay, I understand. I have a Napoleon complex like few people you may have ever come across. Life, if, if life were fair, I'd be taller than my high school freshman. Uh-huh. Joel and okay? I would Joel and I would be Arnold Schwarzenegger Golly. and what's his name? Because I'm 6'4". Yes. Yeah, my, so my best friend is about 6'4", 6'5", and people called us Mutt and Jeff growing mm-hmm. up because if you guys remember that old uh, newspaper yep. comic strip. I yep. mean, so I get it. Life's not fair. Mm-hmm. And once we accept that, that allows us to stop striving to make it fair and instead strive to make it the best that we can. Um, but I think this big, is that why was a big thing to realize. I think this is why so many people go through their divorces in this angry state of being. Yeah. Because they allow life not to be fair to drive everything they do. Yeah. Everything. Agreed. And even to this day, my my ex and I currently we do not talk. We used to and then things got really wonky and crazy in the last few years. And now we don't talk at all because she's still hanging on to life's not fair. Even yeah. though she's remarried and she's done all these things and she hasn't had to like show up in a lot of ways that she should have in her mind, life is still not fair. Mm-hmm. It's just not fair. Right. And I see this happen over and over and over again. I have a client currently who. He came out of the closet. His wife doesn't want him, doesn't want her daughters to have anything to do with him. She's turned Mm. the kids against him. And the only reason that this is happening is because she's sitting in that space. Life is not fair. And I'm not advocating because I did it myself, but I'm not advocating. No, we get off scot-free. I don't, that's not what I come from. Okay. I own that at, at, some point I knew about this. I should have cut out, cut the losses sooner and come out of the closet, but that just isn't the way the the record was supposed to play on our you know dance card for life. But to hold on to things and sit in that space of this just isn't fair. This just isn't fair. That's actually on you, not the other person. Right. Yeah. It is on you to fix that. Yeah. And too many people get stuck in this space and they go, "Oh, I have such a horrible relationship with my ex." Really? What might be the reason for that? Now, granted, I know there are some people who end up just being complete raving bitches or assholes. I'm not going to discount that one bit. (laughs) But I would say that a majority of these relationships that break apart, if you could stand in that space you're talking about, Joel, you could actually get through it. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean you have to get along 100% of the time. Exactly. But you can see things differently. Yeah. 
and people don't give themselves at least my perspective and it sounds like you're kind of in that same space my perspective is people don't give themselves that permission to go mm -hmm. okay let's try to look at it this way right yeah yeah um i know business leader bob berg talks a lot about reframing and that's yep. kind of what you know just thinking about things in a different way approaching it from a different perspective and i think you're exactly right a lot of people who go through divorce and remain embittered for a long time um they suffer the consequences of that embitterness. you know i'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard the expression um hanging on to bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick yep because you're the only person that it's really hurting and unfortunately the other part, and we talked about this before we came on air, is that a lot of times the way that we respond shapes the way that other people respond to us. So like yes. right now, things are a little bit crazy because of the coronavirus. And so people are, um, you know, you go to the store and there was that whole toilet paper shortage because mm -hmm. people are thinking, well, if everybody else is buying toilet paper, I probably should too. And they have no idea why they're doing that. Well, the same thing happens in our relationships. If you're mad at me and I don't know why, I'm probably going to be mad at you for being mad at me. Mm -hmm. And then you multiply that times a divorce and Let's be let's be let's be real. There are plenty of legitimate reasons to be angry at an ex-spouse once you've been through a divorce. Yes. I get it. Again, I'm not telling anybody that your feelings aren't valid. Whatever your emotions are, I believe you probably have a valid reason for feeling that way. I remember mm -hmm. feeling that way. But as long as you remain captive to those emotions, it's going to be really hard to move forward. So I, I try to share, like I do a lot of blended family coaching. That's one of the things I do as well. And one of the things I try to share with people is just two key principles that everything else is based on. So if you're going to be in a successful blended family, because I, I, I live in small town, Alabama. Um, I live a mile and a half from my ex-wife. Our kids go back and forth each week and everybody knows everybody in our town of 20,000 people. So there's not a whole lot of secrets. So we try to get along really well. And I'm thankful that we do most of the time. We don't yep. talk on the phone every day, but we, we end up having to communicate with each other almost on a daily basis because our kids are 13 and 15, you know, 10th grader, 7th grader. Yep. We have a lot we need to talk about, cell phones and driver's permits and going to dances and boyfriends and, mm -hmm. you know, like you have to talk. And so the question is, how do you do that? Well, there's these two principles I share with people to try to give them a framework for starting to get along with their ex, okay? The first one is very simple. Um, and it's inspired by, um, you know, Mahatma Gandhi, who said, be the change you want to see in the world. Well, this is my take on that. Be the adult you want your kids to become, mm. right? So if you want your kids to become an angry, embittered adult who talks badly about people they used to love, then by all means, keep setting that example, Yep. right? But if you want your kids to grow up to be well-rounded, and if you want your kids to grow up to be caring and empathetic, then you need to model that for your children, even when that's really hard. Because remember, we already know life's not fair. Mm -hmm. And so that means as an adult, you need to show your kids, hey, kids, here's what you do when life's not fair. You deal with it and you move on. You, right. you know, my dad, again, my dad was retired military. He was 20 years uh, in the Army. He was an Army Ranger, got shot at for 18 months in Vietnam, won three Bronze Stars. He was a tough dude. One of the things he said most often when I was a kid was rub some dirt on it. <laughs> because you get hurt and it's like, no, look, you got to toughen up. You're going to fall. You're going to get scratched up. You got to learn to toughen up and deal with it. Okay. And so that's the first principle is be the adult you want your kids to become. The second one's very similar and it is um, to uh, remember the golden rule from kindergarten. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. And as an adult, we forget that. Again, we teach our children at five years old, you need to be nice to people because you would want them to be nice to you, right? But then we become an adult and it's like we forget everything that we learned when we were children. And so if we can, even if you're the only one doing it, I guarantee, I guarantee 
most of the time, if you are nice to your ex, mm -hmm. they will be at least less mean to you than they were before. Yep. I mean, you know, there's a, um, you and I have talked about this. I'm a pretty outspoken Christian. There's a verse in Proverbs that says a soft answer turns away wrath. If mm -hmm. you want to escalate an argument, all you've got to do is change your tone of voice or yep. your volume. Well, the, guess what? The corollary is also true. If you want to calm something down, speak a little more softly, change your tone of voice to where it's more understanding and empathetic and humble, and you are more likely to get a more positive response. Well, I shouldn't have to do that. They should be nice to me first. Okay, maybe they should, but you know what? They're not. And, and the thing is, is you have to give room for, and this is something that came up in, in my journey along the way because my parents were not accepting at all for many, many years. And every so often it still crops up just did yeah. a couple of weeks ago. And finally, one of my friends who I was coaching some coaches. So <laughs> seems to be what I do. I coach, you know, coaches, <laughs> I coach speakers, you know, I coach yep. everybody, but I was helping train some other coaches in, a, in the program that I went through. And so I was doing some mentor coaching, but then I was also being the client and letting them mm -hmm. coach me so that I could give them feedback. Okay. And one of those coaches said to me finally, so what if, just what if you looked at it from the perspective that your dad is doing the best that he can with what he's got mm -hmm. to do it with? Yeah. And even though I intuitively kind of knew it, it was just the way she said it, which mm. was its own interesting little slap upside the head. <laughs> and I didn't yeah, those are like great, it because it didn't feel good, but I'm like, right. oh, uh-huh. And, and that's a great well, idea. Thanks. Yeah. But anymore, when I feel him starting to get under my skin, I say to myself, he's doing the best with what he's got. He's doing the best yeah. with what he's got. He's doing the best because that is, yeah. he's not, at his age, he's not going to go, well, he could, but it's not like he's just going to go out and go, okay, well, yeah, let me go into therapy because we already have those <laughs> arguments right. too. I'm sure, yeah. You know, but it's just, it's such an interesting space to play and to mm. see people from that perspective. And I love both of your points here. I really love to like be the adult you know, you want your kids to be. And I've seen that in my own children where it's played out. Mm -hmm. I see in them so much more of the adult mm. that they are because I said, okay, I'm going to handle things this way. I'm gonna, and even when it was not good and sometimes I did put them right in the midst of stuff, they could see that I would handle things in a different way mm -hmm. than my ex was and it paid off. Not that I'm right. like keeping points. But right. Yeah. It's yeah. not a competition. Actually, I do. But I have still a scoreboard <laughs> over here that's like, uh, me one, you know, me 100, her zero, you know. No. Right. <clears throat> but it's so interesting. And it reminded me as you were talking about that, that um, one of my clients, this has been a couple of years ago, he came to a session and I said, so how is it going? You know, you know, how are you feeling about everything? He goes, well, I was fine until about 20 minutes ago. When I did what you suggested, I, I was having a conversation with my ex and I thought it was going pretty good. And he was really struggling with feeling like he's never going to be able to get rid of the guilt and shame because she mm. won't let him get rid of the guilt and shame. Yeah. And so I said, so if that's what you want to get rid of, I said, what if you had a conversation about that? Well, what good would that do? I said, I don't know. What good might it do? That's right. You know, me playing, you know, me, the coach, I'm not going to commit to anything, but, you know, trying to push him into that space. So he said, mm -hmm. so I finally said to her, I said, so I'm just curious when might I expect that you'll quit making me feel guilt and shame? And she said, 
when you paid enough for it. Mm. Oh, and he's like, so what do you want me to do with that? And of course, as a coach, I'm like, whoa, that's kind of a biggie. I said, when do you feel like you paid enough for it? He goes, I already feel that way. I said, so what if that's what you operated from right there? I've already right. paid enough. I know I've already paid enough for me. I've already paid enough. Mm-hmm. And instead of letting her get under your skin like that, that's where you operated from. Hmm. And it was such an interesting thing to watch him transition because right. suddenly he did what you'd said is treat, started treating her the way he wanted to be treated mm-hmm. and not letting that be the thing that they hit and banged heads against each other. Right. Repeatedly. Because it is the button pusher. As soon as your button right. gets pushed and, and trust me, we all know how to do this. Oh yeah. When you've been married to somebody, you, you know mm-hmm. what the buttons are. That's mm-hmm. not even hard. <laughs> Yep. All I got to say is, well, you know, you're the one who put us in debt. So, and boom, (laughs) there we go. That's right. And now we're off to the fight. Yeah. We are off to the fight. We all have those. Yeah. But um, so, what's one of the biggest lessons before we wrap up here, Joel, that you find that through this whole experience, and I know it never ends because we're always learning. I'm 20 some odd years into my ex and I being separated and divorced and all this sort of stuff. But what's something that you feel like you've learned that, influences other parts of your life oh man that's a great one um i would so there's two things that immediately come to mind uh one is a quote from one of my favorite authors a guy named c.s lewis Uh, Mm -hmm. if any of your listeners are familiar with you know chronicles of narnia and mere christianity so he wrote a um he wrote something when he said um uh, a real desire to believe the best about the other person will actually solve most of the problems. And that's one of the things I've learned through this whole process is whether it's with my ex-wife or whether it's with my wife, whether it's with my kids mm-hmm. or my students at school or my soccer players or my, my clients or whatever, if I choose to believe the best about their intentions and about their heart, yep. that may not change them, but it changes the way that I relate to them. Because now I'm operating from a, pra- a place of understanding and grace and forgiveness instead of a place of wariness or even bitterness or instant anger. Like I've had some mm-hmm. students in the past where I just uh, – teachers are supposed to love everybody, and we do love everybody. We do not like every student we've ever had. Right. It's just I'm being honest, right? There are some students Secrets that just – Secrets from the school. Oh, that's there right. That'd be a great podcast. That would be. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, when I, when I realized the kids weren't necessarily just trying to get on my nerves for, their, for that sake, yeah. maybe they really were, like you said, that, that quote from Teddy Roosevelt, maybe they were trying to do the best they can with what they have where they are. Mm-hmm. And if I believe that about them, it changes my heart toward yep. them. And so that was a big lesson. The other one is just the power of forgiveness. And you already mentioned this in that it's a never-ending process. Forgiveness mm-hmm. is not a one-time event for most of us because whatever we're trying to forgive it's going to come back up when that button gets pushed again. And so we need to forgive again. But that's what even just the attempt to forgive begins to free us from that bitterness. Right. Once we, like you mentioned, that reframing of what if you, what if you operated from that place of you've already paid for mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And so you can start forgiving her because now you're not worried about her pushing your buttons anymore. Right. Because you know you've already done everything that you can do. So you can start to forgive her and you can start to forgive yourself. Mm-hmm. So those are, those are two big lessons that I've learned throughout this entire process. And honestly, it's, it's helped me have a better marriage this time around because yep. I look at the man I was in my first marriage and, and I'm ashamed of who that was. I'm ashamed of mm-hmm. who I was then and I'm trying to be better now. I'm also ashamed of the father I was. 
I was harsh with my kids and I was stern and I was strict in a way that wasn't helpful. And I did some damage to my relationship with my kids. Mm -hmm. And ever since the divorce, I've tried to be a better father, a more compassionate father, a more understanding father, because I want my kids to understand that's, that's what I'm supposed to be. Right. right? Um, And that's, again, it's changed my relationship with them. And and that's Mm -hmm. a, that's a powerful thing as well. It is a powerful thing. I think one of the lessons I've learned through all of this is I'm not here to change someone's beliefs, Mm -hmm. but what I'd like to change is their behavior. That's Mm -hmm. it. That's all I want. You can, you can (laughs) believe what you want. You can believe I'm a jerk, an asshole, whatever you want. I just need you to not behave in a way (laughs) that makes me feel like that or look like that. Right. You can just still be hold that belief. I don't, I don't right. really care. Right. And especially being a gay man, I'm not, I will never, I will never argue with anybody. Unlike a lot of my brothers and sisters <laughs> about beliefs around homosexuality. I won't, I won't do that because you're entitled. Every one of us is entitled to our beliefs. I'm only going to ask you to m- watch your behavior about who I am. That's it. Right. And if you can't, then obviously then I don't need to be part of your world, you know? Yeah, um, but it's such an interesting space, and I see that happen in so many relationships in the divorce range too. It's like, yeah. okay, you're going, you're going to change what you believe about me. Mm, probably not. It would it's be. It's nice, going to be real hard to do that. <laughs> but I can sure try to get you to change your behavior towards me. And right, that's the most important thing. So. Yeah, that's a great one. I'm glad you shared that actually, because that's that's wonderful to remember. Like you said, whatever you choose to believe is up to you, but yep. at least treat me with some respect. That's all I'm asking for. Yep. That's and if I we could do, for. even if, even if we could just convince people that are going through divorce to do that, just mm-hmm. be respectful to each other. Now y- y'all heard him. That'd right be there. huge. That little short Joel there. He just channeled Aretha Franklin. <laughs> like, just treat me with respect. I did. And That's exactly right. He just right. channeled her right then and there. But amazing how often subtle. that happens actually. <laughs> Better that I channel her than Napoleon. <laughs> I don't want to go trying to conquer Europe or anything. That would be, there you go. There that'd you be go. less good. Uh, well, Joel, man, thanks so much for being here. We've got links to uh, how to connect with him. And I love what you do in the world from your teaching to helping people. He's a speaker who really brings forward this courage and confidence and humility in the way that he talks about stuff. And um, I just love it. And I think you're going to just continue to grow and be amazing at what you do, man. He's also even a bestseller on Amazon. What's your book again, man? Uh, It's called Inverted Leadership. Lead Others Better by Forgetting About Yourself. Um, Thank you. I I appreciate that little plug. And and thanks for having me on. Look, you've you've been a tremendous coach. I'm going to shamelessly kiss a little butt here because it's 100% true. You've been wonderful to me going out of your way and helping me out with uh, everything in the speaker mm-hmm. lab, but also just having me on here today is really generous of you. And uh, uh, I, I appreciate it. I love the way that you work with people and challenge them. And um, I've been really grateful for the ways that you've already helped me become better at reaching out to people and also thinking about the way that I deliver my message. That's been, uh, that's been big for awesome. me. I, anytime we get off a coaching call, I tell my wife, honey, guess what Rick said? I learned this thing today and I wrote it down. And so, you know, so anyway, thank you very much. I appreciate everything you've done. And I, I'm just glad we have these connections where I can help. We can help other guys Mm -hmm. really see stuff. Even, even what you just demonstrated, it's like, okay, you can actually pay another guy a a heartfelt compliment and it doesn't mean anything other than, Hey, I really appreciate you, bro. That's right. Yeah. And I do, even though I'm going to like shamelessly, like go really off you know, divert right here, even though I find Joel really cute. So I just have to say, you know, <laughs> that's just the way it is. But um, is, is it okay for me to say you are not the first gay man to have told me that? 
I well, I we've all we all know each other, so we've all already talked about. Hey, do you know this guy Joel? And oh yes, 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 we all think he's cute. So yeah, you know, nice. Every, all of us in the gay community know each other. There's like this one little phone line we all use. I, that's what I thought world, was probably so. the case. I mean, I'm from Alabama. You know how we are down there. <clears throat> well, yeah, Alabama. You know, hey, I was I was from the South too. It's like everybody <laughs> in the South knows everybody, y'all. We all that's learned right. how to say y'all together, you know. That's so. right. We take classes in y'all as little children. We do y'all and ham and chitlins and <laughs> all that stuff. So. Your mom and him. Don't, that's even, a good don't one. even get me started, Joel, because you, you've only heard a little bit of when Rick gets in his <laughs> southern. But. That's fantastic. So anyway, well, thanks again, man, for being here. I love this conversation. Can't wait to see what you go and do in the world and continue to do that stuff. Of course, if you could grow up a little bit, you know, that'd be wonderful. Be, wouldn't it? Yeah, at, yeah, it would at, be. I'm hoping that it'll, I'm hoping I'll hit my growth spurt when I get to about yeah. 45, Exactly. At, that midlife growth spurt. There you go. Well, cool, man. Thanks yeah. so much. Yeah. It's been my pleasure. I look forward to hopefully connecting with some of your listeners. That's a wrap for 40 plus real men, real talk where size doesn't matter. We drop our bullshit, get over our screwed up fears make bold moves and live life without apologies don't forget to join us on facebook at 40 plus real men real talk where the conversations continue